Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Week 6, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data Video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. I'm Shane Malloy, along with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. We're going to start off this week in Edmonton and talk about the Oilers' prospects with Tyler Wright, their director of amateur scouting. Tyler, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, we didn't get a chance to really talk uh, at length at the draft, um, particularly after the first round, because I really wanted to get your thoughts on Reed Schaefer. And I was... um, given a little tidbit about him in his first couple of weeks in Spruce Grove from somebody I know up there, Mark Crono. And he said, look, he's a big raw kid, but you know, there's hockey sense and there's grit there. And there's some, you know, underappreciated skill, just keep an eye on him. And over the next couple of years, especially last year, I think he began to understand what he could potentially do with that big body. And he just began to like realize, I thought that, you know, I have all this underlining skill, and I just need to, to actually like get in front of the net and to make some things happen. And there's not many power forwards in the NHL anymore. Like he's that prototypical power forward. And what really excited you about him coming into the season and watching him from the beginning of the season up until, you know, you got to interview him at the draft. Yeah. I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. He, you know, was kind of a little bit of an unknown, I think really going into last year, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't think he had a Western Hockey League goal to, you know, off the top of my head going into last year, obviously with the pandemic, because I think they only played about 17 or 20 games or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, two assists. Before. Yeah, had two assists. So, you know, um, obviously, you know, you would have kind of seen him and, you know, you would have been intrigued a little bit about, you know, the package. You know, he's got size, he can skate, he's got a big frame, but you know, for a guy that was really just trying to solidify himself in the Western Hockey League, never mind, you know, trying to be an upper echelon, you know, draft pick. So I think as the year went on, though, um, you know, he just continually got better, continually progressed. Um, you know, we kept sending different people in to watch him and said, you know, like this, there's something there. And then, you know, he just kind of really moved up the rankings as far as, you know, going from basically a mid round pick to a, you know, a third round pick to a second round pick to, um, and, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, I, I give the team credit too, because, you know, they went on a deep long playoff run and uh, obviously he was a big part of their success. Um, we want successful people. We want people that, you know, get exposed to, to winning because obviously winning matters and those big long drives. And uh, he just continually got better. He impacted the game a lot. Um you know, whether it was on the score sheet or not, you know, as far as, you know, goals and assists, uh, big net front presence, he can kill penalties. And as the draft went on and, you know, we, we had to try to get a little bit, a little bit creative, but we're trying to create some, cra- uh, some cap space. Uh, we didn't have a lot of picks. Um, so, you know, we, we had the opportunity to go back, um, you know, from 29 to 
32. And, you know, for us, we made that decision that we were going to take him at 32 and um, came into training camp, uh, had a pretty good camp. Um, we've sent him back, obviously, to Seattle, and uh, he's gotten off to a great start. I think he's got 13 goals in, you know, the first 10 games of the year. So, um, you know, he's a late birthday. So, uh, no, we're excited. We're excited about him. He brings an element, I think, that we lack in the organization. And, and um, you know, we've got to continue to push him and develop him and, and bring him along the right way. Uh, since seeing him in camp, Tyler, where do you feel he's improved the most? Uh, I remember in his draft year, I found him very dangerous in transition, but uh, very raw when it came to his puck protection skill set, despite having, as you said, the, the tools, the, the frame to really do something with it down the road. Uh, is, is, has he improved that element? And there are other elements that you feel that he's, he's rounded out here early? Yeah, you know, it, it's a good question. I think you're, you're dead on. I, you know, he's six foot four. I think he came into camp at 218 pounds. He's a big, heavy, thick body. Um, and I, I think he's still in the stages of, of really trying to learn how to protect that puck down low once the cycle has been created, uh, you know, to separate yourself from the puck and the defender. Um, you know, when you're a big body like that, uh, you're hard to move. So I think um, that's one area that we're continually working on. Um, I think... I think his shot in his hockey sense, um, I don't think we gave him enough credit for. Um, he's got a really good release. I think he can score from the outside, which he has shown, which I think maybe we didn't give him enough credit for early in his draft year. Um, so that's been been a good surprise. He's been he's playing the bumper on the power play, believe it or not, um, which is, you know, it's a um, it's a hard position to play. You, you've got to you got to understand you got to have good hockey sense. You got to put yourself in a position to receive the puck and not only to receive it, you get away quicker to make a play. So, um, you know, is that where he's going to be at the next level? I'm not sure, but he's showing that he can play there and we're going to try round out his game as far as, you know, being that net front present. Um, you know, he's been playing on the penalty kill as well. He scored a real nice shorthanded goal early. Uh, so, you know, just doing all those little things where you're impacting the game in, in different situations, um, you know, obviously with our organization, you know, in our power play, we, you know, with Connor and Leon and, um, you know, Nugent Hopkins and you've got, you know, Hyman and Kane, like we've got people that are playing on the power play. So, um, you know, as a young guy, if you think you're coming into our organization to run our power play, uh, you're probably not going to see a lot of it to start. So you've got to find a way to make sure that you're, you're useful um, along the game in certain situations. That's penalty killing. That's being good defensively, all those little things. And, and that's part of the development process that, that uh, you know, we're going to try to utilize it, you know, while he's in, in Seattle or, or, or any junior kid or college kid for that matter at this stage. I want to ask you about Luca Munzenberger, uh, I spoke with Todd Woodcroft about him and Todd doesn't very often give that high level of praise, but he was really impressed with the kid's character and how he impacts a, a dressing room. It was really, it was really a lot of the discussion was focused on what he does outside of the rink. And then um, just being a guy that people gravitate to and that he's a leader um, on and off the ice in terms of how he prepares himself, but you know, how he conducts himself as well and making sure like for a young guy, he takes care of his teammates, uh, thoughts on how he's continued to evolve as a player. Yeah, I think you're bang on with that. And I think th those were the, 
the real underlining qualities that that we really liked going into his draft year. Obviously, the World Junior was was in Edmonton. He was playing as an underage. Um, you know, was a big body guy that you know played with a lot of uh, edge, I would say. And I, I think he was still a young a young man that would kind of go over the edge um, and almost to the point to where he would run into a little bit of penalty trouble as far as costing your team. And it's such a fine line for these young guys to, to play on the edge and not go, not go over the edge. Um, But another, you know, it's a, it's a quality that we try to, you love to try to reel in, you know, rather than, you know, trying to say you have to do it a little bit more. So I think with maturity and that it's starting to come, uh, obviously, he went back this year for for Germany. Played in the World Juniors again. Was the captain of the team. Take a huge step. Went to the University of Vermont. Um, you know, was a huge learning curve for him for his year, first year. And um, ran into a little bit of a sickness this year uh, to start. Missed the first say three to four weeks. Came in a development camp in unbelievable shape. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that. You know, if he's not on the score sheet, uh, he's a hard player to play against. He he targets the other team's best players as far as making life miserable for them. Um, you know, I think he's got four or five points in the first six games, which is kind of erased. I think he had three or four points in, you know, say 35 games last year. So another good sign of, of taking another step in a second year uh, at Vermont. And um, you can have, you can never have too many big competitive defensemen. And that's why, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about him. How do you feel his retrievals and breakouts have, have progressed, uh, since moving to the college, uh, situation of Vermont? You know, I think it's done, you know, it's been a real learning curve, obviously, you know, coming from Germany and then you're coming right into the NCAA it's you're playing, you know, as an 18 year old kid too, you know, uh, true freshman, um, you're playing against 24, 25 year old, 23, you have a wide range of guys that are in different development process and physically and mentally, um, you know, some ahead than others. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've been trying to do with Luca is, is keeping it simple, um, making the first good pass, uh, learning to join the rush, not lead the rush. Um, simple plays is, uh, you know, eliminating the cycle um playing physical playing hard against the top teams player you know blocking shots on the pk and little things by you know just getting pucks to net creating those second and third chances uh sometimes less is more and it's not always about um you know goals and assists it's about learning to earn your coach's trust and play in the defensive zone and and be a hard player to play against we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We come back. We'll continue to talk about the Edmonton Oilers prospects right after these important messages. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Continuing to talk about the Edmonton Oilers prospects with Tyler Wright, their director of amateur scouting. Tyler, I want to ask you about Philip Roberg. And um, I had a bit of a laugh. Um, yes, I guess towards some of the guys in the media in Edmonton, because they were upset with me because I had suggested that 
it'll probably take four years for Broberg to hit the NHL full time, maybe five. And they're all mad. Like, what do you, cause they expect, they have a different expectation. Like, but that's the average. It's okay. Like the whole point is that he plays a long career in Edmonton as, and is a successful, valuable player for them. Not that he gets in there when he's a 19 year old defenseman, like take a big breath. Right. Yeah. And then if you look at his development as a 21 year old and going down to Bakersfield, playing a ton of minutes in all situations, that's where you learn and grow. Cause I think sometimes you don't get a chance to see the American league. You sort of lose your perspective of how good it is and what a great development league it is for young defensemen, uh, especially the young ones, you know, that when they're not ready to take on that load at the NHL level. Yeah, no, absolutely. Bang on. I think, um, you know, with, with the defense, I think at the national hockey league level, um, you know, it just takes people a little bit longer in general. There's some guys that can walk in and, and play and go on to have a, a long career. Abs- absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, for the majority of part, uh, it's just such a hard, it's a hard position to play. You're playing against, you know, the most elite forwards in the national hockey league that are in the world um, you got to be able to defend and, you know, by, you know, you're really only dressing six, you know, some nights, some teams will dress seven D, but you're only dressing six forwards. <clears throat> God, or I mean, six D God forbid somebody gets hurt. Then you're dressed, you know, you're, you're left with five D. So, I mean, the emphasis and the importance of defense is, is big. So I think, with with what we've been doing with Phil, it's it's been good. Um, you know, he ended up playing about twenty games last year. Um, you know, in Edmonton, he played thirty odd games down in in Bakersfield. Uh, the dialogue has been really good with him as far as what we what we need him to work on. Um, taking care of the defensive zone, playing big, big, big minutes in every situation. PK last five minutes of a game with the lead last two minutes of a game when you're down by a goal um, playing on the power play, playing on the penalty kill. I think he played 26, 27 minutes the other night, just coming back from uh, missing some time, but you know, he went, he went back home um, this year, uh, which is probably one of the first real summers that he's actually had, you know, with all the national team stuff and drafts and, um, where, you know, he put on 18 plus pounds, almost 20 pounds came in, in really good shape, had a really good camp. He's in a good place. We're happy with this development. Uh, we just want him to continue to play, play big minutes. And, um, I believe that we will see Broberg at some point in time this year and maybe not go back, but that, you know, his play will dictate that, uh, he's been open about it. Um, coaching staff has done a great job. So, He's in a he's in a good spot where where we believe he's continually to develop and hopefully make that jump uh, and continually to stay. Tyler, is his development window largely not all not totally, but largely predicated off the idea that you want him to be able to play that very high event activation game at the NHL level, but do it in a way where you know he's not presenting too much risk. He's recognizing the timing windows. He's recognizing when he has the numbers advantages. Is, is that a big part of what you're trying to get him to develop here in the AHL so that when he has that fully fleshed out, he's not going to be a liability for you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think with all defensemen, um, you know, all young defensemen, you know, they got to learn how to really play 
defense. You know, I think they've played defense, but playing defense in the Western League or in college or in, in, in Shalefti is different than playing, you know, defense in the National Hockey League. Guys are bigger, faster, stronger cycles. You know, one, one simple play where, you know, whether it's the defenseman turns it over or the winger turns it over, usually creates a lot of havoc in the, in the or defensive zone, which either results in a primary scoring chance, a penalty against, or a face-off against, or an icing where you can't change. So the I think the puck distribution is so vital for a young defenseman. Um, and obviously, you know, when you're six foot three and you're a good skater and you like to join the rush, um, it's about not turning over pucks in the neutral zone. It's not being too risky, uh, like you said, through transition games. It's it's about making good plays. It's giving goes. It's joining the rush, not leading the rush for the majority of the time. It's coming from behind, and then you know letting your offensive instincts take take over once you get into that place. But let's take care of our zone. You know, little things by using your speed and and using that back of the net to. Um, you know, escape the first four checker, and then it buys you a little bit more time. Uh, it's about creating a cycle where you're 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 stopping the cycle, you know, on a defensive side, not allowing, not mirroring the person. It's about getting in there physically, being strong enough to to shut down the cycle, waiting for your centerman to come in, and then to activate from that rather than mirror and allow the cycle to continue. And then that's where you know, mismatches turn up. That's where turnovers and pucks go off skates and into feet and penalties and all that stuff creates. So, um, you know, it, it's a process and and we're really happy with what he's done over the last course of the, you know, a year and a half. And, um, you know, we're just continually giving him minutes down there and, and uh, we're happy with his progression. Next one, I ask you about Raphael Lavoie. And I know he hasn't played any games this year in Bakersfield, but what I was interested in is, that 2021 season where he's, he's split between Alsvenska and the AHL. And then last year he got that sort of his full season, although he played 56 games in the American league and that transition of being a pro and coming out of, you know, the Quebec league and where you can get away with a lot more and then him having to play a more structured game and talk about that transition for him and him recognizing the more structured game I play, the actually the better offensive opportunities that I'm going to have. And sometimes that takes a little bit longer for players to recognize. And I thought last year in the American league, I think when I watched him play, I'm like, Oh, he's figured it out. No, absolutely. I think, you know, like, again, I, you know, it's such a good development league, the American hockey league is. And, you know, when you're, you're six foot four and you can really shoot the puck and, you kind of have uh, your way around the Quebec league as far as points go. Um, but you might not be playing the game the right way, but you're getting away with it because you're bigger, stronger, a little bit more mature. Um, I think that's also, you know, our player development role is to get in with these kids at the junior level and the college level to make sure that we're putting the foundation of um, what it takes to play pro hockey and, and that's being responsible away from the puck. It's not being high risk. It's about learning to protect the puck. It's about being competitive. Um, and there's different forms of competitiveness, whether it's physical, uh, it's being stick competitive, winning 50-50 puck battles, going to the hard areas, not only going to the hard areas, it's staying in the hard areas, paying the price 
to create offense, um, whether it's a tip, whether it's a deflection, whether it's a rebound, um, and then obviously earning the coach's trust to be able to buy some time to get yourself in a position to get onto the power play. So I think that transition is exactly what you talked about. A lot of these players struggle a little bit, maybe in their first year. Um, they buy into it. I, I want to say Raf had maybe one goal at the end of November of last year, kind of at this same time, um, and really started figuring it out once we got into December and January. And I think he ended up with 13, 14 goals, got cut short with a knee injury uh, some kind, sometime in around the end of January, which is a little bit unfortunate for him because he was just starting to come by doing those little things. So um, just got activated here the other day down in Bakersfield. So hopefully we can get him back into the lineup and, and uh, you know, he's been watching a lot of games, both at the national hockey level and in Bakersfield. And um, hopefully we can get him back on track to where he left off uh, last year at the same time. Our last time we talked, the, the big issue coming out of the queue to, to professional hockey was uh, him maintaining the pace necessary. I always found that, you know, you get a big six, four, uh, power forward and sometimes their pace isn't where it needs to be because they got away with a lot coming out of the queue. Um, how do you feel that that, uh, that area in this game has progressed overall since turning pro? Yeah, I think it, it has, um, you know, I think it's about being able to be about unpredictability a little bit more. I think uh, with transition, you know, everybody wants to score off the rush um, I think you got to get creative and try to make yourself useful as far as, um, you know, if you got a shot and you like to score from a certain area, that's fine. You, you also, you know, at the national hockey league level, they, the teams figure that out real quick too. So what you, it's about entering the zone, maybe delaying, finding somebody given goes, uh, it's about going to the heart. It's about getting dirty goals, uh, you know, it's about watching video and showing guys, uh, you know, I think Zach Hyman and Evander Kane are a perfect example for us in our organization on how they score different goals in different ways. Um, one, it's being relentless. B, it's it's paying a price to go to the areas. And, you know, they they can score from the outside, but they can also score from in tight. And when you, if you add up all those goals over a, a period of, um, you know, 82 games, if you get 15 from outside and you get 15 from inside, you know, all of a sudden you got a 30 goal season instead of 15 from the outside. So let's, let's, you know, let's be a little bit more creative and a little bit harder on, on ways and that we're going to be able to get on the score sheet. So I think that was a little thing with, with Raph got to get to the inside. He's got a good shot, um, can score on the power play. Let's, let's use your size and your frame a lot. Like we talked with Reed Schaefer about off the cycle, um, you got to work on your foot speed in quick areas to where um, if you're going to use your frame, you got to be able to take it to the net and be able to stay there. And I think he's been working on that. Uh, obviously he had a knee injury, so he's been off the ice for a little bit. Um, but obviously it's, it's been talks to where, you know, we got to pick up where, where we left off because he was starting to do those things when, when he started having a success in the American Hockey League. Well, Tyler, thank you very much for coming on the show. We always appreciate uh, the insight and have safe travels out there. Okay, thanks, guys. That's Tyler Wright, Director of Amateur Scouting for the Edmonton Oilers. We'll be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Pat Malloy for our player development segment, who's a player development and skills coach, skating coach. He's worked for uh, multiple NHL teams. Pat, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, the topic this week is lessons learned from working with some of the best players in the world. Fascinating topic. So first off, let's discuss, you know, there's always seminal moments in everyone's career and there's those aha moments where you're like, oh, and it sort of changes the trajectory of your strategy and some of your tactics. And how often does that happen when you get to work with an NHL player you know, such as say Claude Giroux or, you know, Mason McTavish or Brant Clark in when you're working with them and, and doing, you know, helping them be the best that they can be based on their skill sets and who they are as individuals. But how fun is that to have those type of those great lessons? It's extremely fun. I mean, you know, working with, with a national hockey league player, you know, their top 1% in their industry and then you go to, you know, having the opportunity to work with star players, Norris Trophy winners like an Eric Carlson or, or a, a Claude Drew, you know, a 100-point player and, and, a, and an NHL captain and, and players of this ilk. Um, what you really start to see is, is it's such a give and take. You learn as much from them as, as they really do from you. And you recognize some of the ways that they're wired differently. But I think maybe the, the most misunderstood thing about star caliber players whether it's a forward or a defenseman but it's you know those top one percent of the top one percent type players is really one of the things that makes them so special and for me it starts with just their elite fundamentals Um, that's the first thing that really jumped off the map for me was recognizing that you know the, the secret tonic really was was comprised of, of their fundamental skill set is just elite. They do things that ordinary players do well. They do them exceptional. And, and that really is such a difference in that it's not one magical move or one magical way of going things. They have such a, a strong foundation of elite fundamentals in their skill set, in their puck skills, in their movement. Um, and, th- and that doesn't necessarily mean they're an elite level skater. It might just mean that they're elite at skating the game. You know, I think of a player like Tyler Toffoli that, you know, certainly over the years working on, on fundamental skating was one thing. But one of the things that a player like Tyler Toffoli was masterful at is just making sure he gets to the spots that he needs to get to and skating the game. And so he's a player that kind of jumps up in that mindset. And one of the more recent fellows in a, in a player like Mackenzie Weger in Calgary, um, you know, a, a lot of work over the years, but at the end of the day, just skates the game so well. And, and of course, now you see him rewarded with a, with a multi-year extension. And one thing that all of these sorts of players share in common is just elite fundamentals in terms of hand skills, passing skills, uh, shooting skills, being able to take pucks from bad areas and turn them into good pucks off of dasher boards and into a clean pass to someone in possession. Those things really jumped off the map for me as, as areas that um, really set those players apart. 
Pat, you mentioned that, that star players are wired differently for you in your time with them. Uh, can you expand on that and just talk about maybe the, the correlation between mental attributes that you've witnessed over the years that, that separate them? Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things, you know, when you're talking about the highest end players, really their mental processing is, is ultimately what sets them apart. I mean, we can go to the American League and find all kinds of players that can skate, pass, and shoot at the level. But really, for me, the, the, the thing that's special about high, high end players is, is their mental processing, their ability to take in information and make appropriate decisions based on threat, based on time and space. Um, you know, plays between checks and these sorts of things. It's just, you know, so much more ahead of an average player that might have elite skills uh, in terms of I can shoot a puck with time and space. What makes the one special is really their ability to do it when people are trying to stop them. And so, you know, for me, that's such a, a, a big proponent of what makes them different. The other things that I, I've, I've often seen is, you know, they're really detail-driven. Um, you know, when you're talking to a player like an Eric Carlson or you're talking to a player like a Claude Giroux, you know, they're looking for an edge and little things in those players' games can make such a difference. If it's just creating a little angle change, if it's creating a smaller pocket, just an ounce of time here or there, and, and really they identify with the idea of second save or seconds earned with their movement. And all it takes for a player that processes at that level is just that split second. And so, you know, really the idea of them being a student of the game, um, you know, they, they thirst for knowledge and what little things can they impact because it's never a major thing with a with a high, high-end player. It's, it's always typically little things that can create really big differences for them, whether that's creating a little second of time here or creating, a, you know, a more favorable angle for a shot opportunity. Um, or how do I extend a possession and create a little bit more time to allow my sense to take over? And so one of the big challenges when you're working with those players is it's not necessarily that you're, you're changing technical skill because that's obviously very difficult to do as players age, but it's identifying where can we make little tactical adjustments that'll allow your skill, your elite fundamental skills to take over because we've created a little bit more time or we've created a little, you know, more of a favorable opportunity for you based on these small adjustments and really they have that thirst for knowledge which makes it such an intriguing thing to do you know by working with them pat could you expand upon a little bit you had mentioned it in terms of their processing uh how much do you find it um lessons learned about how quickly those top end players have that ability for resilience of not being too high not being too low but when you get too high and you get too low that they can quickly like equalize back to that baseline so that that's when they're at their optimal like abilities mentally and emotionally yeah i mean typical of any high performer in any industry and most specific high achievers are risk takers so really the processing comes down to you know they're wired to want to make a difference in a game they're wired to want to make a play and change the tide of a game and so that processing allows them to see those opportunities and, you know, elite level fundamentals, you know, oftentimes will breed confidence that I'm going to try some things and, you know, the best ones more times than not, they work, but certainly when there's risk, there's also um, understanding how to mitigate risk and, 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 you know, things like puck management and time and place and those sorts of things. And so 
one of the things that you, you never want to do is you don't want to dull the edge. We want to make sure that, you know, we create them understanding when the optimal opportunity to, to take risk to create is. But then, you know, that strong processing and understanding of the game allows them to sort of temper and mitigate the risks that they take based on, you know, being able to see plays ahead of time, um, recognizing um, threat threat assessments around them in terms of possession, um, you know, or, or pucks changing hands. So it, it's really making sure they understand, you know, that if we are able to do these things, it'll allow us to apply risk in a setting where, you know, the cards are stacked in our favor. Um, and it's really for them using that processing and then those appropriate skills to create advantage in that, I'm not going to put myself in a scenario that I know I can't succeed in. And um, that's always the balancing act. And so, you know, so much of that comes where we'll, we'll take a look at shift video, for instance, and we'll, we'll, during training, we'll look at different scenarios. And there's a lot of give and take in those situations about what feels right, what's comfortable, you know, where they feel jammed up or where they feel like they're not getting um, to be able to, to apply their skill set or their will on a situation based on the risk. And, and going through that sort of flow with them is such a powerful tool because it allows them to, you know, to visualize, all right, here based on feel is where I know I'd like to be and, and here are some of those deterrents. It's, it's, it's such a, a great flow session between you know, the athlete and the, and the stresses that they have. And then, you know, as a, as a coach or someone that can help impact putting them into higher percentage scenarios, you know, really weighing all those factors out. And that's what I find really fascinating is the, the give and take between in that feedback loop between the coach and the player and the player and the coach where there's synchronicity in, in understanding that. And that's where I think, you know, we had talked rec uh, recently about that feedback loop and how that important that is in that coaching. And I, I guess for you, uh, you know, it's exciting because you get somebody so high level and elite at what they do is that the questions they ask are so specific that it allows you to dig in and, and, ha and find solutions for that specific problem, which could be, complicated or even maybe some cases complex so I, I always find that really interesting uh pat we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio everybody stay tuned we're going to continue to talk about player development after these short messages prospect news and analysis this is hockey prospect radio with shane malloy and brad allen We are back empowered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing our player development segment with Pat Malloy. Pat, just to finish up on our previous topic of lessons learned working with some of the best players in the world, uh, talk a little bit about the difference, you know, when you're working with a young NHL player who's just coming in, you know, maybe out of junior or maybe out of the American League, who's like maybe 19 or 20 years of age, and that contrast between that player, and then obviously the lessons uh, from a more senior player who's been around for 10 years. Yeah, you know, established players, uh, you know, they've been around it and they and they have, you know, experience-based um, in terms of their exploration of how do I become better or how do I do things. 
from a junior perspective, you know, thinking back here recently to, to a slew of top 10 picks that are clients in, in the likes of a, a Mason McTavish or a Brant Clark or a Jack Quinn, for instance, a lot of that becomes having those players understand no different than an established NHL or, you know, a Norris Trophy winner or a, a captain is leveraging your strengths, making sure that, you know, we understand and chip away at some of the areas of development, but really leveraging your strengths to, to create the situations that you want to to impact the game in the way that you want to um, is, is a big key and not straying from that mindset. But then also recognizing from, you know, junior to the National Hockey League is such a step and, and how do you recognize and then implement the idea of what's transferable as something that works for you at the major junior level or at the NCAA Division One level and what will work in the best league in the world. And so it's really ensuring that players, number one, understand their DNA as a player and their strengths and then making sure that, you know, from the perspective of those strengths, you're leveraging them to use them to get as, as much advantage uh, you know, going towards the National Hockey League level. And then once you're there, what things can you let go that may have worked, you know, in junior hockey that, that aren't going to work against, you know, grown men that are, are far beyond in terms of experience and making sure that you're giving yourself every opportunity to succeed, not spinning your wheels, if you will. Well, let's uh, move into another to- topic of hard skill, dictating the terms of play with hard skill habits and mindset. Uh, please, you know, give our listeners a brief description of what that really means in terms of how that translates into the game on the ice. You know, we're, we're in such a great place in the game where there's so much skill. All of the players coming up through the ranks have now got tremendous puck skills. They've got a great ability with pucks on their stick. Um, you know, at the grassroots level, we're doing a better and better job all the time. But, you know, when we get to situations where you hit a level where, you know, what can you do when people are trying to stop you? And skill is great, but if it's not implemented when it's hard and in hard ways and in hard areas, how does it really impact the game? And so, you know, one of the things I find uh, that pops up quite a lot, even with top prospects, is, you know, things like what skills are related to extending possession at the National Hockey League level, where there's a grown man who's an NHL veteran, and they're trying to stop you from doing the things you're trying to do. And so, you know, areas like protecting pucks, um, learning how to use your body to shield just to buy that extra time, how to use your skating, how to use the different um, puck skills related around, you know, extending your possession, Um, and all with the concept of, you know, being able to do it when someone's trying to stop you. The other idea is, is really... How do I force players into doing things they're not, you know, they're trained not to do while they're defending? So, you know, one of the interesting parts of the game is we all have access to video. We all have access to, you know, similar messaging, especially when you get to the National Hockey League. You know, what can we do in order to force players to do things they're trained not to do? So in my skill set, you know, one of the major things I'll see is, you know, disconnecting puck skills from things as simple as weight transfer. It might be the most deadly thing in terms of getting the defender to do something they're trained not to do. It's your ability to transfer weight and motion and get defenders doing things that they're trained not to do. And, and really then I like, you know, especially as, as, 
you go forward with young players graduating to the National Hockey League level, you know, recognizing the power of the real estate of the game and using your, your skills and your habits and your details to recognize if I can access these higher percentage areas and generate shot attempts from those spots or, you know, if I'm a defenseman, you know, can I eliminate opportunities towards my net shot attempts toward my net if I can mitigate those um, and the corresponding benefits with it. So it's it's really from the perspective of can we do things in the ways and in the areas where they're defended the hardest um, and can we do things when people are trying to prevent us from doing them. Pat, I, uh, you know, as a scout, I have to watch Michigan a lot this season because of Gavin Brindley and Adam Fentili. And one player I noticed while watching Michigan is is a, a player I watched a lot of out of the USHL named Mackie Samaskevich. And uh, he is prone to using lateral drags to set up his plays too often. But he has a lot of validation doing it at the college level, and it transferred correctly from the USHL to the college level. My question for you is, is it easier to prune that type of skill out of a player when they're getting validation or is it easier to actually incorporate the skill when they don't have it in the first place? What order of operation is there in terms of, of, of how difficult it is to either get a player to acquire a new skill or take a pre-existing skill that they've had success that they won't have as much success with in the initial level once they try to translate? You know, if, if, if someone possesses the skill, a lot of times that can be used or redirected in how it's um, deployed, if that makes sense. It's, it's certainly a lot more difficult to acquire than it is to augment something that you've already got. You know, a lot of times a player, you know, at the Division One level or at the, the junior level, they're going to do things that allow them success on a day-by-day basis. So to, to have that skill versus to have to obtain it, you know, when you get to the National Hockey League level, it's, it's certainly going to be more difficult. But to be able to augment how it's used is, is certainly something that can be more easily done in terms of, you know, creating the opportunity. Um, because, you know, oftentimes, take that player, for instance, they recognize that that works against that opponent, but typically high-end players that have a processing, you know, failure at something at a level will, will provide the feedback they need to create that will want desire to augment its use. Pat, uh, regarding the mindset, is how much of learnability from a player standpoint when you start working with them at a young age and as they progress, how much does that impact their ability just to, to continue to adapt? Because I find sometimes there's players who just, it's almost like this is my identity and they get caught in that stream of thought. Yeah. I, I mean, a hundred percent. It's, it's really in, in my experience and sort of, blending topic one and and topic two you know high-end players players that that really move along are are often very you know much students of the game if you will Um, and so when it comes to that mindset they're constantly looking for ways that they can enhance their ability to dictate what happens on the ice and so from that mindset it's that sort of relentlessness um, that they can bring to something now you know, oftentimes relentlessness is, you know, it can certainly be met with failure to execute, especially at young ages. But we want to fan that flame. We want them to continue 
um, to search for ways within their skill set to dictate the outcome of a play um, and to continue to go there because that constant desire to be in those situations will create the fuel and ultimately the feedback that they need, be it from failure or from success, that allows them to to move into new territory. Do you feel that when you're looking at augmenting a specific skill, was there something you're surprised by in terms of how rapidly a skill that you consider very technical can be acquired? And likewise, is there a skill that you consider just foundational that maybe at the surface level doesn't look like too much, but really it's actually much harder to acquire and adapt than people think? Yeah, I mean, uptake is so individual, you know, from athlete to athlete. Um, one of the things, you know, you'll, you'll recognize very quickly is, is world-class players typically uptake very, very quickly. And that, you know, I think we can all agree one of the things that makes the best the best and the best the most special is their ability to think the game. And ultimately, you know, that allows them to dictate terms simply because they're ahead of it. Um, it's almost like the, the signal's stronger for them, if that makes sense. And so uptake for, for players like that, whether it's, you know, when you start to talk about angles um, or, or things that create, you know, lines of sight, et cetera, et cetera, um, that are, are more um, difficult for an average player to, to click onto early, you know, the best of the best really uptake quickly. You know, one of the things I find an example of that, for instance, playing, you know, between checks, for instance, you know, higher end players can really develop a, a comfort level using micro skills, smaller area skills, you know, inside coverage between checks, the play between checks, whereas, you know, you, you crowd an average player, you put a player in that setting, um, it really starts to mess with the process that, that they find success in, in terms of they need the right amount of space, the, the right amount of time, the right amount of comfort level in order to generate what they believe might be their highest percentage opportunity. And so, you know, really it, it's creating scenarios where it's guided learning almost um, where, you know, for the best of the best and they're looking for an edge, it's really breaking down how can we augment or create that fraction more time because they process at such an elite level that, um, that little bit extra can just make it deadly. And then for, you know, a, a younger player, an average player, someone with good raw technical skills, but maybe um, lacks the, the tactical wherewithal in order to take it to the next level, it's really becoming guided learning where let's put them in these situations and have them work their way through how can I make this my own? How can I use the things that I possess to become the best version of myself uh, versus, you know, a player around me? Well, Pat, thank you very much once again for coming on our show. Uh, great topics this week. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks very much for having me, guys. That's Pat Malloy, player development skills coach. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. 
We're now going to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins prospects with their assistant general manager, Chris Pryor. Chris, thanks for coming on the show again. We appreciate it. Oh, well, you're welcome as always. My pleasure. Well, we didn't get much of a chance to talk uh, after, particularly after the first round and into the second. Sometimes the draft, I get onto the floor and I get to talk to people and sometimes I miss certain people. So I wanted to really pick your brain on your first round draft pick last year in Owen Pickering. And what I found really fascinating about watching him develop from, you know, cause he only got 23 games in that first year, COVID, you know, ran rampant. And then he got the 62 games in his draft year. What I found really fascinating cause he's in, he's playing for Swift current. They weren't a very good team. So he was under siege a lot, a lot of nights. Um, and you saw the raw ability in him. And what what I, I found really fascinating as I kept track on was is really his situational awareness is he really seemed to understand at a young age what was going on around him and how to make that appropriate decision and not force plays, particularly on, on retrieval as he's going in to retrieve a puck and taking a peek and where guys are. And he was a lot of young defensemen aren't comfortable with just eating the puck and just the forward's going to hit you. You're going to take a hit. You're going to slow the game down. You're going to control and manage the puck. It's not perfect, but you know, if guys aren't where they're supposed to be, or there wasn't the options he liked, I found as a young defenseman, that was something that sort of jumped out to me. I'm like, Oh, like that's more of a veteran type of move for a, a young defenseman. So to me, that was something that jumped out right away in terms of translating that into the NHL. I, I, I would agree on all facets of what you just said. Uh, first of all, like our guys did a really good job monitoring his progress throughout the year. Um, as we all know, early on, mid-season, late, there's a there's usually a transition in it and a transformation of guys. And notably, Owen fell into that category. I think as the year went on, he became a better defenseman in, in a lot of different ways. And I, our guys saw that. That was one of the things that attracted us to us. And two, just getting to know the kid as of recent here, since the draft development camp, uh, main camp, our guys talking about him. Just, it's funny you talk about his awareness. He's a student of the game. He's very in tune to what's going on around him. Uh, he's mature for his age. I think, as everybody knows, well, the hockey world, especially out west, he's an in captain of his team, which is a, tells a lot about a lot about the kid right there. So he's very aware of his surroundings and what he needs to do and asking questions. And I think that bodes bodes well for the kid going forward. Well, that you know, asking questions, I think, is sometimes an underrated like attribute when it comes to like mental acuity of like learnability. His ability to process and learn, I found that he was one of those players that if you watched him make a mistake, he wasn't one to repeat it often often or at all. He seemed to be able to like learn from things quickly and adapt. So there is a part of that. There's a grit element into that, but there's also a mental acuity, a part of that as well. And I found that when you're trying to look at a player and so much of it, we get, sometimes we can get caught up in the skills of the player and we're not really watching how a player reacts to when things go badly, when things go good, because you can learn just as much from that. And then how he interacts with his teammates in situations um, when the puck, when the game's in motion or when it stops and that starts, that begins to sort of show me, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Like there's some attributes in this player that are going to translate 
to be, you know, a really good NHL player from that respect. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up the leadership part because that's part of it as well as, you know, having empathy as a leader and being authentic and, you know, accountable to what's going on, not just for yourself, but being accountable to the coaching staff and the GM for the rest of the team and taking the brunt of the load when things don't go well. And it's a hard, it's not an easy job as an older guy, but younger guy makes it's even tougher or more of a challenge. So I think he's, he's embraced that. Uh, there's a, there's a learning curve there. That's a, that's a big responsibility uh, being that guy and playing. And I think he's handled it extremely well for put, being put in that situation. Uh, he's, he's ready for it. Uh, like I said, he's a mature kid. He asks questions, not only about how to, approach the, the game on the ice but approach the game off the ice too which is tells you does tell you about the kid uh maturity level one of the other things like i thought as well was there was a lot of untapped upside particularly in his ability to jump into transition of a play to be able to be on a power play unit and help produce points um and just he really smart in terms of where he delivers the puck and i think he's one of those players that you almost you see a guy get 40 points a year in the in the dub or the O or the Q, and sometimes that just will drop down to 10 points. But he may be like I think he'll be able to trend that'll be able to just almost shift over to the American League into the NHL when he's in his peer years, like his core years. I wouldn't be surprised he's a guy who puts up 35, 40 points a year. Um, pretty regularly. I'm uh obviously we're we're a little biased with because he's our guy, but we're extremely excited about the potential him as for him going forward, just because of the attributes of physical attributes, but it's just the way he thinks the game and looks at the game and views the game and the physical attributes being long and rangy skates like he can, he can recover. And that's what the game's all, a lot of the game right now is, is being mobile and get the pucks and transition and get up into play. And he can check all those boxes. So, Again, is it, is it? He does have. There's some excitement there, but everybody's got. We all, we're all aware that it's going to take some time and and patience, and uh, not only from us but from the kid. He just reminds me a defenseman that would have played on the St. Louis Blue Stanley Cup team. Tall, rangy, mobile, hard to play against. Smart puck movement, manages the puck well. Um, irritates the other forwards because they just can't get around a player like that. I think that irritates forwards more than anything else than the physicalities. Just simply they're just in the way all the time. Seems to be the way the game is transitioned now. If, if the physicality is, is nice to have, but if, if getting away the arm to stick, uh, stick is such a big factor in the, today's game, stick on puck and just be able to get up with the play and keeping up with, because the game has transitioned into you know, a faster game. You got to be, be able to, keep up with that pace that pace so he, he can he can do that uh so like i said it's it is exciting um uh, there's you know there's obviously going to be a learning curve here and but uh i think there's a, a nice ceiling there i'd like to ask you about isaac beliveau as well and he's in his fourth year in the queue in gatineau and they're a really strong team and he's gone off to a really great start what i like about his potential moving forward is that he actually got to play four years in the queue. Like he's got to like be able to spread that development time out. 
um, which I think is really important for a defenseman because, especially for a defenseman in the CHL, because it's they don't have that extra time that a European kid or a college kid would have. And um, talk about his potential moving forward because last year he had a really good year. Now this year, I mean, offensively, like the fourteen points in thirteen games so far. If I look at the the score sheet and points aren't everything, but you know he is a def- you know he is playing on the blue line. Not you know he's not up front. I, I think it's some of those. It's a reflection of the team. He, he's on a good squad. Uh, you talk about the timeline. I don't. It goes back to conversations we've had a number of times. That there's no not a, an exact science or exact timeline of kids, their growth and and when they figure it out and when they become. It, it just so in 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 Isaac's case, it has done him it done him a world of good to spend some time the time he spent in, in junior hockey. I mean, if I think you've seen, at least me personally, I've seen from last year, this year, I saw, saw just a big jump at training camp. He looks like a, I don't want to say a pro now, but from last year, this year, he's made big, a big, big strides. And you can tell he's, he's uh, secure with his own self, where he's at. He's mature. Uh, his body's starting to, he's starting to figure that part of it out, which is that part of it is huge. Uh, he's starting to figure out where he fits in the in the game itself, um, and it just some of that those things just it just takes time. You can't rush that, especially with a defenseman. Uh, obviously, he's on a good team, but he, I think he's finding his identity and what he is, and he's done a really good job as far as his training and his habits, and and from one year to the next. So good, good for him because sometimes you put in, it's good to see when you put in the work, good things usually tend to follow. Right. So uh, it's good for Isaac, uh, the start he's had, and, and hopefully they, they got a good team. They should hopefully make a little bit of a run here. What's one of the things I, I'm always keen to when I speak to the prospects is their self-awareness of who they are as a player. Well, who they think they are. And then does that match what's really going on on the ice? And like how they react, I find that really interesting. So great for Isaacs for you know being very self-aware. That sometimes takes us adults many many years to figure that out. But also like yes, he's producing points on a good team. But you also have to take advantage of those opportunities. Like you can be on a good team and not take advantage of that. And he's done that. So there's always to me, there's a layer of context. Is is he taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented to him? And I think in the case in, in Gatineau, he's done that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, that that identity and finding out who you are. I think it's such a huge component, especially for young players making that jump from junior hockey to pro hockey. It's is that's the biggest one of the biggest hurdles is is just that because it doesn't necessarily transition from junior or college to the pros. You sometimes you do have to change your game. You have to figure out where my chair is or what my niche is going to be. Uh, and it's not an easy transition. I think there's a learning curve there and you'll see, see guys, young kids all the time, their first year or two, they, they struggle because it's uh, what they were in junior to what their game is going to be at pro is now they, they got to tr- change their game. So in Isaac's case, I'm not saying he falls into that category, but I think he's got a good handle on what he is and what he's going to be. And he's uh like I said, we spent some time in junior hockey, which has helped him. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We're going to, when we return, we'll continue to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins prospects right after these important messages. 
You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by Outside Edge Hockey, hockey player development at OutsideEdge.ca. We're continuing to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins prospects with Assistant General Manager Chris Pryor. Uh, Chris, I want to get your thoughts on the continued development of Samuel Poulin. And I think he's a perfect example. He's drafted in 2019 in the first round. And it's about, we talked about it, patience. Letting that player play in an environment where he can be the man in a, as many situations as he possibly can. You want him on the power play. You want a penalty kill late in games, late in periods, when you're up a goal or down a goal, to be able to handle those types of situations and be able to thrive and get better at it as you progress. Um, thoughts on how you know he's done that? Because last year was his first year in American Hockey League. And as we know, American League is a tough league. Very skilled, very hard to play in can be a meat grinder for young players. How do you think he transitioned um, and played last year in the American League? I think, I mean, last, if you talk to Sam about last year, he probably, I would think he would say, have a similar conversation that I'm going to have. I think it started out, as a lot of young guys do, trying to figure out the American League, which is, as we talked about numerous times in your professional career, is probably the biggest jump you're going to have is that first year coming out of junior college into that, in that American league. Now you're playing, you're, you're playing with men. You have to find your game doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily going to transition as you might've thought it was going to be. You're just going to walk in and be that, a point guy or a point producer. All of a sudden you're going to, oh, oh, I got to figure this out because this is not going to work or so it's a hard learning less life lesson that first couple months. So I think in fair in, for Sam, he came in a lot like a lot of kids um, with that the transition phase. And all of a sudden, he, for whatever reason, about the second half from the midseason point on, he, he figured it out. He got put in the, in the center hole there with, with Pustin and Hollander, and it clicked. And it went off and running. From, so from the second half of the year last year, carried through that second half into the summer through training camp. And if you, if guys are keeping note of it, he actually got, got a couple games this past year, obviously based on what he's done, but in for himself as a credit to the work he put in him, figuring it out, being patient, coming in the rink with the right attitude. And if you do that, good things tend to happen. So um, good for him. Uh, talk a little bit about that transition of him going to the wall to the middle of the ice. Cause uh, I always find the d- difficult thing for them is defensively through the middle in the neutral zone, kind of like the dots in the offensive zone to the dots in the defensive zone. It's like that gap in there. That may be the toughest, one of the toughest jobs in hockey because you're defending in space against speed. Cause everybody likes to drive through that middle of the ice. And for a guy who played on the wall and moving to the middle, you just have you got you got to defend everywhere, um, and that's that's tough for some from guys to make that transition over. It's funny because if you look history, you tell you if you it usually it's the other way around. Yeah, up the middle and you put then you're on the wall. So in Sam's credit and the coaching staff and development people, they they you know as a group they made that move. He 
he he embraced it and he just he he just took a big step when that happened uh gave him i don't know if it's more freedom the from a thinking standpoint responsibility standpoint playing the, the whole the whole sheet uh but he he figured it out and he, he took a huge step when that happened the line clicked they had good chemistry um and he just took off from there yeah well it's got a, a really high grit component which i think adds tremendous value in the middle of the ice particularly when you're defending because those skill forwards don't like going against a big bodied centerman who likes to get in your face and disrupt when he doesn't have the puck um so to me that his ability to do that just makes him a far more versatile player for the coaching staff at, at an NHL level because you can move him from like the wall to the middle but also move him around the roster a little bit so to me it makes him almost like a bit of a jack of all trades in that respect and he's a dual threat so I think he see he can shoot very well and pass well. I think it's a it's a good message to be sent throughout. Uh, is versatility is such a advantageous to be versatile. Uh, if you can your your ability to play the wall, play the middle, play the game the right way, that means be on, be on responsible all over the ice gives you so much of an advantage over maybe just a guy that can just play one position because coaches obviously like versatility. You know how it works, injuries and things creep up. And if you're in an ability to play a number of different situations and in different positions, it's going to bode well for you. And, and Sam's take advantage of that. Well, particularly in the playoffs. Um, that's where I think it becomes even much more uh, of a spotlight is those players that have those abilities tend to just be out in more situations and fans will yell at coaches, but you know, you're there. The game shrinks pretty fast in the playoffs. So those type of players that the style of play that Sam has, I think is advantageous to the, to the postseason as well. Oh, well, as we all know, the rink gets smaller, the game gets tighter. Um, It it gets heavier. So again, those are all things that, you check those boxes with Sam Poulin. So he's done a really good job. He's taken that step. So, you know, just again, this with his hard work, his attitude, I don't know, see any reason why the future is not bright for him. Let's talk about uh, Tristan Braz. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on had the two good years in the USHL, uh, place University of Minnesota. Obviously, now they have the transfer portal, which has caused some chaos at the college level. So he's ha- he's transferred over to University of Denver. So there's going to be some, uh, you know, adaptability. He's going to need to, you know, handle a new situation, new coaching staff, new, ty- new style, new teammates. Um, it's early. I think he's only about eight games in. But what have you seen about that transition over to University of Denver? Well, I think you just – you just uh... – he hit a couple key components there. It's not just because, you know, you, you go from one solid quality team to another, obviously that they just won it last year. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an easy transition. I mean, there's, there's a learning curve there. It is early, you know, he's, they haven't played, you know, I know they played eight games, but it's early in their, in their um, conference play. Uh, he's been moved around a little bit. He's, I think he's playing a little bit of center now, which again, there's some versatility there, which you like to see. Um, 
it's all about, again, it's just about being attitude and being patient, trusting the people you're with, trusting the coaching staff. Uh, he's in a good environment. They got tremendous coaches there where our development people are on it. He, he's, I wouldn't say he's, he just, I think it's just a natural progression of just jumping from one program, to the other, and just getting the feel, getting the hang of it where he fits. That's more, anything more to it than that. One of the things I liked about that, him switching to Denver is the conference he's going to play in plays a more pro style. It's a heavier conference to play in. And I think in that case, it helps players adapt to the American hockey league a little bit easier because they're just used to that in some respects and depends on the player, of course. But I think sometimes when you're thrown into an environment, that's a bigger, heavier, more pro style game that um, it's sometimes it's not such a, a cold bucket of water when you jump into your first training camp or your first games in the American league. I would think in generality, I would think that probably what you're saying is hold true. But I think, you know, if you look at Minnesota and Denver right now, from a program standpoint, I guess the only thing, maybe the difference, the differential between the two would be uh, the size of the, the ice sheet right now. And we know right. Minnesota, Minnesota is going to change theirs this summer. So, but I think if Minnesota's that they've done a really good job with, uh, Bob's done a great job there. Um, so I don't think, I think from a program uh, com- opponent standpoint, way they play, I don't, I just, you know, the kid, the kid felt that it was a better situation for him or he felt more from a development standpoint that would, he looked, maybe looked at, maybe he looked at the class coming in and from an opportunity standpoint, he felt uh, he had an opportunity that with Denver there, that it was going to be, for whatever reason, he, he felt that it was a better situation. So I think in saying that, just going to, again, it's just going to take some time and him to get acclimated with, with the situation there. And I think it, you've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks, he's starting to feel his way around and he's playing playing more consistent. Um, and it's not easy to play, play in the middle. When you're, you know, so I think there's going to be a little bit of learning curve there if that continues. But I, they're, like I said, the people there do a really good job obviously speaks for itself with them winning it last year. So I think he's in good hands. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Chris, for coming on our show. We always appreciate it. Good luck uh, and safe travels out there. All right, Shane, you too. And, and anytime, likewise. That's Chris Pryor, assistant general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back in Powered by Power Player, the hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're now in our regular segment, It's All Mental, with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Hey, love being here. Well, we're continuing our segment as we go through your book hockey grit grind and mind we are still in chapter three perception and we wanted to tap into the topic of breaking free of self-destructive thought patterns and i find this a fascinating subject because you know i I think it's pretty clear where you know where the your mind goes your body follows and whatever your mind does is going to be the indicator of a large part of, if not everything, of your success 
in not as a hockey player, just in life in general, you know? So when you're sitting on the couch, do you want to eat the bag of Doritos? Should you eat the bag of Doritos? You know, that's just one aspect of that. Speak, speak to us about that, those topics of, and that topic and these conversations you have with particularly young players about, you know, setting your thought processes and your patterns so that when tough times come or you're just like having a night off that, you know, you stay on task. Not that like you want to be, you know, just rigid in your life and you should have fun, but, you know, recognizing that you can't, you know, those destructive thoughts can really start to unravel what successes you've had. Yeah. I think the the biggest thing, and I think all humans deal with it, right? So if you, if you're doing this, then it just means that you're alive and you're a human being. And that is, we, ha- we have a tendency to get caught up in negative self-talk, right? Sort of beating ourselves up, uh, paying attention to every dumb thing that we did, um, giving ourselves crap. Um, you know, if, when we're playing hockey, if we didn't make the perfect play, then as we're skating to the bench, we're thinking to ourselves, oh, you dope, you idiot. What, what were you thinking? What's wrong with you? You know, and I think what's so funny about it is that, you know, if you had a line mate, say you were coming up the ice, you know, you had a two on one, one guy goes off sides, you know, maybe you, maybe it's you go off sides. And as you're going to the bench, you're beating yourself up. Um, can you imagine if, if your line mate looked at you and said the things you're saying to yourself, you know, say, what, what's wrong with you, idiot, you stupid boof, right? What's going on? But, but that would never happen. But yet we do it to ourselves all the time, right? So it's that negative self-talk that sort of sets a tone. And let's face it, we're not our best when we're, we're, you know, getting all this, this negative feedback. We're not our best when we're being beat up and, and put down, but that's what we do to ourselves. So I think the first thing I want to recognize is that when we get caught up in these, these types of ways of thinking is that a, it's, it's really bad for our performance, right? The thing that we need the most is, is what we're hurting the most. And that's our ability to perform. But number two is, that other people wouldn't do that to us. So why are we doing it to ourselves? And, and one of the things that I do is I teach a thing called being your best coach. And, and we've messed, met, mentioned this before in previous uh, uh, segments, but it's the idea that you've got to be able to step outside of yourself and, and talk to yourself like you would a teammate, right? In that situation, you need to talk to yourself like you would talk to a teammate that made that same boneheaded play. Um, and that's what I'm talking about by being your best coach. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, but once people start to sort of get their mind around that, and as they're skating to the bench, they're thinking, man, you're better than that. Come on. Don't, don't worry about it. Shake it off. You know, let's get back out there. Um, that's being your best coach. Um, so that, that's one of the first things I want these young guys to learn. Kevin, it's a really interesting topic because I, I really find that it uh, helps promote a lack of confidence if you're if you're too self-critical and confidence is everything to developing prospects uh, look no further somebody like Niels Lundqvist who's one of the blue chip prospects in hockey right now had a bad plus one season and the reason he said it was bad is because he lost his confidence and it was because he was too self-critical so one thing I want to mm-hmm. ask you about with uh, with players who are too self-critical is what techniques and strategies are there to be able to compensate through just visual strategies specifically because I find that that's the most reflective of of hockey in general 
Yeah. And I think sort of first thing is goes back to stop beating yourself up. Nobody would do that to you. So stop doing it to yourself. That's the first thing. It's also important to recognize what you just said. The more I do this, the more I'm just wearing down my confidence. I call it's it's like having an ax to a giant tree. I can keep whacking at it and whacking at it and whacking at it. And the first few times, you know, it doesn't seem like anything's going to happen. But if I keep whacking at it, eventually I'm going to knock that tree down. And that's what happens to us. If we don't get a handle on these these comments these these chops right then we're, we're only hurting ourselves and i think another thing that's important to understand is is that you're, you're going to move in the direction of your thoughts uh, just like what shane said a minute ago if you're if you're sitting on the couch and all of a sudden this idea of doritos pops in your head right what's what's going to happen almost automatically at some point and that is you're going to get up you're going to go in the kitchen you're going to find that bag of doritos and you're going to start eating them and then all of a sudden your brain wakes up and says what are you doing right you're going to eat here dinner in a minute or you know the wife's going to give you read you the riot act or your kid comes in and say hey, dad those are mine right but we move in the direction of our thinking. So that's super important for any player to recognize is that if I'm carrying bad thoughts, if I'm picturing worst case scenarios, I am more likely to move in that direction and to actually, you know, do those things. than if I can't figure out a way to sort of put a movie on and that movie is, is me being my best. That movie is, is, is me executing at a high level. It's playing with speed and intensity and playing with confidence, right? And so this is a, is a whole idea of visualization and this is something that we'll get into for sure. But at the end of the day, sometimes you, if, if you're not feeling it, if you're not feeling like the right player that you need to be, sometimes you need to sort of step into a role. You need to step into an as if sort of superhero version of yourself and the, the body follows the mind, right? So if I can control the mind, then maybe that body will follow at least long enough for me to get my, my head out of my butt and, and start playing hockey like I know how to. You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. I'm Shane Malloy with Brad Allen from HockeyProspect.com. Brought to you by Power Player, the hockey player development software at ThePowerPlayer.com. We're chatting with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, uh, breaking down his book, Hockey, Grit, Grind, and Mind, talking about chapter three, perception, breaking free of self-destructive thought patterns. You know, Kevin, just quickly have a couple of minutes left. You know, I, I think what also Brad was alluding to is um, using visual aids for the player to help them in terms of, say, video of their game when they're successful and so that it starts to trigger those positive thoughts. Hey, remember, you're an excellent, you're, you're a really good player. You're an excellent player. Look at all the things that you do well. Remember that, you know, this is what you can do. This is what you're capable right. of, of. And just sort of like sort of an ability to reset yourself. Yeah. Well, we're playing those movies in our head all the time. And you're exactly right. If I get some really good video coaching and they, they, they show me things I can improve on, certainly that's, that's really the big point of it. It's not just to show all your highlights, but you know, you got to look at your highlights. You got to recognize when you did things right, when you did the right thing. And, and a lot of times what will happen is that, that, that movie that we're having a tendency to play, which is more negative and more focused on the, on the mistakes all of a sudden, we're, we sort of step back and with that awareness, right, awareness that you're doing it, you can start to say, you know what, I, I am a pretty good player and I'm a heck of a lot better than I was last year and I'm getting better every single time I hit the ice. So, yeah, let, let, give myself a break, right? And again, I think when you, when you allow that, that 
coach version of yourself to step up and say, hey, give yourself a break. Um, a lot of times kids can do that. But the problem is many times they think they are their performance. So if they have a bad performance, then they're a lousy person, right? Lousy player, lousy person. And, and we know that's just not true. Yeah, I know. And that's, I, I find it really fascinating because you're having to, you know, work with younger players all the way up to, you know, professional age adults. And, you know, in many cases, we just, we keep repeating our patterns. Like we do really well and then you sort of fall into a trap and you got to dig yourself out of that trap again. And then, you know, you, you're doing really well and you sort of fall into that. And there's just, uh, I find that whole, you know, psychological brain chemistry fascinating and how that impacts performance. And which is why I thought the book was so um, illuminating on, on many of those factors as well. But we're going to take a quick break on hockey prospect radio. We'll continue with Dr. Kevin Willis on it's all mental right after these important messages. Did you know you can open upper deck hockey packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, bantam, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca. Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We are back and powered by PowerPlayer, hockey player development software at thepowerplayer.com. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Willis, sports psychologist and mental coach, discussing his book, Hockey Grit, Grind and Mind. We are now on to chapter four, and the title of that is Purpose. Uh, the sub uh, topic we want to speak about is self image. And, you know, it's funny because both Bra- uh, Kevin, both Brad and I were talking about, uh, you know, the detriment 
to, of social media in today's world, particularly when it comes to prospects and about the, the vast amount of information that's poured upon these players, um, especially in the last five years and the access to information about you as an individual and how that can particularly impact your personal self image. And because you're, you know, a young person, you know, maybe, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, up until 20, you know, you know, your brain hasn't finished developing yet. You know, you're not quite, you know, uh, an adult in, in many cases. So handling those type, uh, that type of, you know, reactions from other people that you don't know. Um, talk about the conversations you have with your clients in terms of self-image, um, especially when it comes around with social media, because many of the young kids now, their self-image is based on what happens in their social media feeds. Yeah, and it's so tough. And, you know, it, it, it seems like a, a perfect storm of, of, of bad connections. And that is that young people, and I say young people, I, I'm talking kids, you know, all the way up to 21, 22, 23 because that's, that's as the brain is maturing, right? But so imagine you're in that 13, 14, 15 age, you're, you're starting to go through the puberty and all that kind of stuff. Here, here, here's your brain at a point where your, your, your limbic system, the more emotional side of your brain is developing really pretty fast, right? But the, the, the frontal part, that frontal lobe, that prefrontal cortex, the, the thinking, the reasoning part of your brain is, is just sort of chugging along. It's coming on slow, but man, it is not anywhere caught up to the emotional side of the brain. So here we've got a situation that I'm pretty much emotional, right? And I'm reading all these comments and I can read a good one and a good one and a good one. And all of a sudden there's a bad one and all the good ones are gone, right? I don't even, I don't even remember reading them. It's all bad. It's all bad. Um, and I don't have that, that maturity in my brain to be able to say, but that's, come on, that's one out of 10, you know, relax. Um, it's, it's not there. That, that level of reasoning and maturity is not there. And put that, you know, in context with sort of the way the brain develops in general. And that is that when you're young, um, being part of a, of a group, of a community, being accepted is life or death. It really is. I mean, you know, you look at evolution coming all the way up as, you know, cavemen, if you got ousted from the tribe, you would die, right? So it's, it's, it is part of our evolutionary process to, to need to be connected to community, to need to be in the good graces of the people around us, right? And again, it's not until that, that more mature parts of our brain begin to develop that allow us to sort of understand that balance that needs to be and, and these young people they don't have it and then you know i'll touch on the idea of what these comments do you know these comments they come in they come in they come in and they're like little hits of dopamine right oh that made me feel good oh that made me feel good Ooh, that made me feel good and all of a sudden bam you know you get punched in the face with a, a negative comment and you're just not mature enough to process that and i don't say mature enough in a, in a derogatory way i'm literally talking about the makeup of the brain of young people Kevin, is the first step to, to maturation the ability of a young teen to basically say, hang on, okay, this is a negative comment, but this person doesn't actually know who I am. And in order to say, I know who I am, you have to have some sort of idea. Again, it goes back to, it's always interconnected. It goes back to self-awareness. It goes back to having some sort of frame of reference as to how you identify yourself. So my point is, 
the, the maturation process really starts with self-identification and then allows you to basically separate yourself from that immediate validation from when you get a good tweet or a good like or a good somebody says something positive to you online uh, versus when somebody says something negative. Is, is it really that maturation process of saying, this is how I identify, this person doesn't know me, therefore I don't need to follow what this person's saying and I'm not going to integrate it emotionally and it won't be as negative. Yeah, well, because that emotional part of our brain is so fast, I mean, like super fast, then it, it grabs onto it and you begin to feel something before your your rational parts of your brain has a chance to say, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down, right? Let's think about what we're doing here. That's that's the first thing. But number two is that the the strength, the maturity, the the ability of that reasoning part of your brain to over, you know, to counteract those feelings is minimized because it's just not grown up yet. It's not all the way, you know, dialed in. Um, so I think, I think it's really as coaches and everybody, we, we need to sort of help them um, learn how to think rationally and learn how to, to recognize the impact of these comments, right? Now, as far as the awareness side of it, again, I think if, you know, as kids learn that you are not your performance, you are not the comments that people are making about you, you're you, right? And you're allowed to, if you can you know, just stop for a second and sort of step outside of yourself and look at it from the outside in, then my guess is you would be a better coach to yourself in those situations than if you are trapped inside of your body experiencing it. Uh, so I, I know that's it's, it's sort of con confusing um, way of looking at it, but as soon as I can, I want kids to recognize that it's okay to screw up. You, you are not your mistakes, right? As a matter of fact, if you don't screw up, then you're not learning. Um, it's okay to, to get negative comments because those are opportunities to learn, right? Um, these, are, these things are okay. They hurt, but they're, they're okay. And then as they get older and older and older and they start to filter that stuff, for one, they don't remember that they used to feel that way because, you know, the way we mature. But number two is, um, I think as coaches, as, as mentors, you know, we need to help them through those really hard times. And, and it is, it's hard. I, you know, I didn't grow up with all that social media, but I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine Going, growing up in, in today's world with video and the social media and all that kind of stuff, man, I just don't think I would have made it. Having a couple of minutes left in the show, uh, would you ever I just recommend, um, you know, with younger players making their life a little bit smaller and like blocking out those noises and maybe not only having one social media feed? It was just a, a comment that, you know, Connor McDavid had recommended to the players on the world junior team, you know, a couple of years ago. And I thought it just, it made sense. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because you talk about somebody, you know, Ooh, so-and-so said something really nasty about me and I'm so mad. I'm so upset. I'm just going to kill him and all that kind of stuff. Well, what if you didn't know they said that about you? What if you had no idea in the world they said that about you? Right. Well, would you be upset? No, I wouldn't be upset because I didn't know. Right. So it's not what they said that made you mad. It's how you responded to what they said that made you mad. So there's two things. One is learn how to process those emotions and those, you know, reasoning of, of the idea that somebody said something and I'm now trying to justify it or at least, you know, talk myself off the ledge. That's one way. Or number two is just like you said, don't pay attention to it. You know, sometimes things get better by by pruning away some of the things that make it worse and it's hard it's hard when everybody else is doing it and doing all these channels and all that kind of stuff but maybe maybe if we can get them to like you said one channel grab a channel if it's instagram if it's facebook if it's tiktok whatever it is right i, I don't know where these kids are anymore but grab one channel and if you're okay in there 
you know, practice these these the reasoning skills that we're trying to teach you. Um, but then you sort of, you know, tame all these other channels. You, you don't need to know about everything. I know a lot of pros, they just don't read all the, the press. They just don't. It, it serves no purpose in their world. They're focused on being the best they can be and press and, and, and outsiders, they need to justify their existence. A lot of times they stir up, you know, a lot of controversy and a lot of negativeness and, and, and because that gets all the press. And so as a player, uh, you're you're just better served to you know limit that as much as you can. Well, understood, and it's a conversation I had with pros and juniors, and you know, and teams in terms of what their policies are, and they try to have a balance from that respect. And it, it's a it's a huge challenge for the next generation. And I'm I'm super happy that I didn't have to grow up with it. As much as I love the information age, I I don't know how well I would have handled that situation as well, but. Once again, uh, Kevin, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, boys. Had fun. That's Dr. Kevin Willis. I want to thank our guests this week, uh, of course, Mark Yates from Instat, as well as Pat Malloy, our player development coach, uh, Dr. Kevin Willis. Uh, for Brad Allen, I'm Shane Malloy. It's been another edition of Hockey Prospect Radio, and we will see you at the rink. Did you know you can open Upper Deck Hockey Packs any time of the day from anywhere in the world? Well, if you haven't checked out Upper Deck ePack yet, you're really missing out. Open NHL trading cards from your smartphone, tablet, or computer and conduct trades with other collectors all over the world. These are not just digital cards. You can actually store cards for free on Upper Deck ePack and have them shipped to you for a nominal fee. Check out the new wave of collecting at UpperDeckEPack.com. That's Upper Deck, the letter E, and Pack.com. Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics. What does every competitive hockey player, no matter their age or ability level, need from their coaches? They need knowledge that will help them improve in specific areas, and they need to know how they're doing. PowerPlayer brings clarity to the development process and helps build stronger relationships and trust between coaches, players, and parents. A feedback platform built around performance evaluation system, PowerPlayer helps coaches provide individualized instruction, performance metrics, and ratings, and comments and video directly to players. Visit thepowerplayer.com today and get in the feedback game. Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs, skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.